0: How's everybody doing? If you're doing good, say yeah. yeah. All right, we just got this microphone back, so they're going to tweak it on the fly, and uh, so just bear with us. I uh, really, before we get into James chapter two, uh, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, uh, this uh, this July, I will have been I, I will have met my wife twenty years ago, and. Uh, I just, I just, it's Valentine's Day, so I love you, and I would do it all over again. It's been a, it's been an amazing ride, and uh, hey, you ain't got 20 years under your belt. You can stop that. (laughs) 20 years? I don't feel old enough to have a 15-year-old. I don't feel old enough to, to, to have uh, been with somebody for 20 years. I've been friends with Pastor Terry for like 25 years. I don't feel old enough to have a friend that's, that's that old of a friend. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm not saying you're an old friend. That's Pastor Jim. (laughs) You got what I'm saying? We're old friends from way back. Then I have old friends. (laughs) I got to stop. He's rubbing off on me. He's rubbing off on me, but (laughs) just, uh, Pastor Jim did crush it though. That was awesome. The other thing that I want to say is this, this place is special. There are a lot of churches There are a lot of churches in our community. Uh, Within 30 miles of us, there's about 300 churches in our radius. And it's very easy to get caught up in just going to church as a part of your routine and a part of your schedule. But there are just times where God takes his incredible spotlight. And for a season or for a long season or for a short season, he shines that spotlight on one of his local bodies. And Reverend L gave a word a couple of years ago that God had a spotlight over fusion and that fusion was going to be a place where people who were far or distant from God, we getting there, Ed? Okay, brother. Where people who were far or distant from God were going to find that spotlight and they were going to come here. And he said, you got to be careful though, because when you start shining the light, it also attracts bugs. And, uh, and so we're, we're, we're figuring out which one all of us are, but, but, uh, but God has shown a light on this place, and it's not just because of us. It's because of His sovereignty. It's because of His goodness. It's because of His choice. And I've learned this with special things that you have to hold them. You have to hold them just right. And my mom and dad told me this uh, a long time ago when they were going through their marriage counseling. Their their pastor said, uh, "Love is a lot like a bird." And I think I think the Holy Spirit and the presence of God is a lot like 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 love is. It said you got to hold a bird just right because if you hold it too loosely, it flies away. If you hold it too tightly, you crush it. And when it comes to what God's doing in, a, in an assembly like this, you have to hold it just right. We, it's not all our responsibility, but we have to understand if we hold it too loosely and we're flippant about what God's doing, we don't respect what God's doing here. We don't honor what God's doing here. We don't realize how fragile this thing could be if, if we don't give honor to it. It literally can move from one place to the other. Then if we hold it too tightly and we believe that it's about us and we're the ones that have to have the control and we're the ones that make all the decisions, then we crush what's happening. And so we have to understand our responsibility with this thing is God help us to have the balance of realizing that it's absolutely you, but not neglecting what our responsibility is toward it as well. And I believe James chapter two gets into the fact that a believer has responsibilities. We don't just get to believe, we don't just get to have faith, we have responsibilities. And so this morning I want to read to you James chapter 2, and I'm gonna, I, I don't have any notes up here, so we'll go until we're done. And uh, I'm going to read it to you, and I'll, I want to start kind of at the end, and I want to work back to the beginning of James chapter 2. So we're going to get into the faith part, and then we're going to get into the favoritism part. So let's read this together. If you have your Bible, you can open it up uh, to James chapter 2, starting in... Verse 1. And I'll tell you what, I know we've stood for a long time, but could we stand to honor the reading of God's word? My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Everybody, look at your neighbor and say, favoritism. Now look to your left and say, you're my favorite. Look to your right and say, you're my favorite. Look behind you, say, you're my favorite. That'll have a point in the end. Now, some of you are like, man, I should have sat beside of my wife today. It's weird telling it to somebody else's. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a, a gold ring and fine clothes. I want you to put this thought in the back of your mind, wearing a... Gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated, everybody say "discriminated," discriminated, among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. That's a word that's a hard one in our culture right now. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm not going to intentionally step on your toes today. I believe James chapter 2 is going to do it for me. We don't know how big of a boy James was, but his words are getting ready to get heavy. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promises those who love him. Aren't you thankful that you're going to be rich in heaven? Say amen. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Could have, there's a whole sermon in that. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. And you're convicted by the law as lawbreakers. If you show favoritism you sin. If you discriminate, you sin. If you show favoritism, you sin. If you discriminate, you sin. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's heavy. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy. Listen to this. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. How many people, when you stand before Jesus, you want to stand at the mercy seat of Christ? You want want Him to show you mercy. How many people know you need him to show you mercy? Say amen. Amen. This is one of the best. I've read this over and over and over as I've just thought about James chapter 2. This might be one of the best lines in all of scripture. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accom- uh, accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the, del- the demons believe and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without deeds or works. You can go ahead and be seated and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your marvelous word. It is the whole, not a part, that... That makes it so incredible. Lord we love pieces and parts of it. But we're here Lord. And we believe that the whole counsel of the word of God is important. From cover to cover. Front to back. Top to bottom. The whole counsel of the word of God is incredibly important. So thank you for this timely scripture. That was written so long ago. That is relevant today. to, to, to today. And give us Lord what it is that you want us to hear. In Jesus name. Amen. And amen. James chapter 2 is a it is a tough scripture and the reason that it's a tough scripture is because there really are theological debates about James chapter 2. The reason there are theological debates about James chapter 2 is because the apostle Paul spends a lot of time, a lot of time in many of his epistles, most of his letters, talking about the idea of grace. And he's talking to a group of people who understood that their forgiveness came from sacrifice and now all of a sudden their, their forgiveness comes from a, a different type of sacrifice, not one that they have to perform anymore, but one that was hung on a tree at Calvary and came in the form of the Son of God who, who, who really gave his life for everybody and poured out his blood to the very end for everybody and who after three days of being inside of a grave rose from the dead, conquering hell, death, and the grave and giving that that sacrifice in, 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 in position for people's sin. And all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul is teaching people, listen, it's not about what you do. It's about what he did. It's not about what you accomplish. It's about what he accomplished. And the definition really of grace is, is getting something or freely receiving something that you neither neither earned or worked for, nor do you deserve it, but it's given to you anyways. And I'm thankful for grace. And so James comes along and he says, listen, I want you to understand, faith is super important, but faith and works go hand in hand. And there are people that believe that you can have faith. There's entire entire denominations that believe in the fruit of works and there's entire denominations that believe it's faith only and there's there's nothing really required of you. And I'll just say this, in this day and age, man, God is not looking... He's not looking for people who believe that there's a no requirement Christianity. He needs people who are willing to work for him. We are his hands and feet, and he wants to use us, especially in this hour. Amen? Amen. And so James comes along, and he begins to talk about this correlation between our faith and between our works. Martin Luther, who is the Protestant reformer, and for those of you who don't know who Martin Luther is, uh, I, I would challenge you to to read I'm not talking about Martin Luther King Jr. I'm talking about Martin Luther the Protestant reformer who who really broke away from the Catholic Church because of the things that were going on inside of the Catholic Church. You are a result of Martin Luther's ministry. You are in a Protestant a Protestant church because Martin Luther realized what was going on was evil. Martin Luther struggled with the book of James. It's written that he called it the gospel of straw that he just didn't he just wasn't crazy about it because of this idea of works but he was He he, he was coming from a a background where works were everything and indulgence was everything. And so he wanted people to understand it's all about Jesus. And so he struggled with this one. But James gets into this idea in, in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And then he goes into what this looks like. I want to establish something this morning that... Having a working faith, there is a reason we are supposed to have a working faith. In the secular world, we work for a paycheck. Can I say amen? In the secular world, we work for a paycheck. The reason we work for a paycheck is because we want to have a house, not because we necessarily want to own the house. We just want to have a house. We're going to love the fact tomorrow that we have a house when it's snowing and snowmageddon hits. And we're going to, we're going to appreciate our, our furnace and, and all the things that go along with that house. Amen. We're going to appreciate it. We work to, to receive a means to an end to provide for our families. Some of us in here like to eat. Amen. I like to eat. We like to have a car. We work, those, are the, those are the ends that we work for. Those are the things that we work for. Our faith is different. Our faith is very much different. And we oftentimes don't think about why we're working for the faith. And I think this is why some people don't work for the faith. All work for the faith is done for the Father. The reason the Father wants us to work for the faith is because people matter to God. And because they matter to God, they're supposed to matter to us. All people. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every color. I will even say this, every sexual orientation. They all matter to God. Well, pastor just said something that's wrong. No, they still matter. They matter to God. If you've allowed yourself to get skewed by what's going on in society today, see, because right now there's so much noise that it can cloud your judgment But the reality is all people, all people matter to God. And when you work for the faith, you are ascribing value to what he died for. The point of working for the faith is you are saying, I am ascribing value to what he died for. And what is important to him is important to me. What was his mission when he went to the cross? His mission when he went to the cross was you. He knew you would need him. He knew you would never be able to accomplish what was necessary to bridge the gap between you and God, to go to heaven. And so he did it for you. It was the will of the Father that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. He came seeking to save that which was lost. And Jesus said, I didn't come for those who weren't in need of a physician. I came for the sick. I came for those that were broken. I came for those that were destitute and desolate. And I came for them and I... I did something for them they could never do for themselves and he accomplished it. He accomplished it well. I'm going to get my keys out of my pocket. That's the knocking that you're hearing. That's my phone. He accomplished it in a miraculous way. And then we have the opportunity once we are saved by grace through faith In Jesus, to work to show the faith that we have. James was not saying that faith saves you; he was saying that faith is an evidence that what is happening on the inside of you is alive. We all come from, most most of our pastors come from a a very Pentecostal background. Whether it's assemblies of God or Pastor Jim came from the Foursquare. Which, to me, when I was growing up, that was a game on the playground, but I guess it's a denomination. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. We all come from a, a Pentecostal background. I'm Baptist. Some of you know that. I, I I started off Baptist and became Pentecostal. We're a non-denominational church, but we believe in the full gospel here. You might hear somebody speak in tongues, and so everybody you know, that's here is like, oh, yeah, I use my tongue. No, you're going to hear some things that, that aren't, aren't English they're not it's it's not normal English up here we believe we come from a, a, a background that says this the the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues so we believe in a physical evidence to show that there's a a transaction that's happened between you and the Holy Spirit What James is saying is there's a physical evidence that shows that there's a transaction that's happened between you and the cross. That's what he's getting at. He's saying, lick, not lick. He's saying, listen, (laughs) he's saying, listen, if you understand that you have been saved, it should be producing things on the inside of you. It should be producing things on the outside of you. It should be producing fruit not only in your life but in the life of other people because when we work for the cross, when we work for the gospel, it is, it is directly impact people's lives. When they play music, it is unto God but it is to bring you into his presence. It's working to honor him but to bring you into his presence. When we have people work in children's ministry, it is to show them that God loves them and establish something in their life that is gonna last forever when you give outside of this church when God tells you you know what give a huge tip to your waitress and and ask if there's anything that you can pray about and minister it is not so that you can look good it is for kingdom impact that's the reason that we do what we do it's always for kingdom impact I can't think of a single time where somebody would work in their faith that it wouldn't be for kingdom impact but here's the problem and, and James gets into this, and I'm going to jump to this, and I'm going to jump back to the beginning. James says this. Listen, if somebody comes to you and says that, that, you, that they, they have need, that they're hungry, or that they, they need clothing, and all you do is wish them well, then you become really a sinner. Your faith looks like it's dead. And there are times, there are times where the knee-jerk reaction when a problem is presented to a believer, there are times where the knee-jerk reaction is, I will pray for you. <laughs> now, this is where it gets controversial. Sometimes when the need gets to you, the prayer has already been prayed. Prayed. The prayer has already been prayed. The petition has already been made. The need has already been presented to God. Other believers have already lifted up their voice in intercession for that person. And by the time it gets to you, the person that God has resourced, the person that God has blessed, the person that God has favored, the person that God has anointed, once it gets to you, God is not asking you to pray. He is asking you to meet the need because you aren't the prayer. You're the answer to the prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Sometimes God doesn't want you to just fall to your knees. He wants you to get up, put your hand in the plow, dig into your pocket and pull out your wallet. He wants you to use your time, your talent, your resources, your energy because you are the answer to the prayer. You are the answer to the prayer. It is so easy to say, I'm going to pray for you. It is an entirely different thing to say, I'm going to build the handicap ramp on the front of your house. It is so easy to say, I'm going to pray for you. It is an entirely different thing to drive to Kroger's, use your money and buy the groceries and then deliver them with no expectation of return. Not even telling them who bought the groceries, they just show up. It is an entirely different thing to say, I'm going to pray for you when you know that a Family has lost a father figure and you say, you know what? I'm going to make sure your kids have everything they need. Once in a while, I'm going to make sure they have a strong male presence in their life. And I'm just going to invest in your kids as though they're my own. It's an entirely different thing to say, we're going to pray for foster children and we're going to pray. It's an entirely different thing to adopt five, six, seven kids, foster 80, to adopt an entire family. It's an entirely different thing to do those things. Sometimes you are not the one that's to kneel and pray. You are the one that God has positioned uniquely to answer the prayer. How does God interact with humanity? How does God interact on planet earth? Now that he has ascended into heaven, you are his hands and his feet. You are the body of Christ. You are the ones that move and live and breathe and have your being in him. You are the ones that God uses to meet the needs of those who so desperately need what you have. And so often we don't believe we have any responsibility in this thing. Well, I have faith. I I believe in Jesus. James wanted to point out, listen, even demons believe in Jesus. What separates you between believing in Jesus, between you and a demon, is not the fact that you believe. It's the fact that your faith is alive. That it's living and breathing and active. They are dead on the inside. They are dead on the inside. Everything that they touch produces death. Everything that the enemy touches produces death. But they still believe. Believe. Believing does not make you alive. Faith makes you alive through grace and the blood of Jesus. And then it becomes active and it blooms and it blossoms. And all of a sudden we become the hands and the feet of Christ. And we get to serve. When we don't work, when we are not active, we are withholding life from someone else. You may be the last gospel stop that somebody has before they stand in front of a holy God. You may be the end of the road, mile one, before they enter into a new state. You may be the last one to speak to them, to love them, to show them, to honor them, to bless them, to serve them, to give to them. You may be the last one and you don't know. And when God pricks your heart and He speaks to you, you have to respond. You have to respond. Sometimes we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. We know that God's telling us to do something and then there's those moments where we respond and heaven meets us and we're like, I am so glad. I'm so glad that I spoke. I'm so glad that I I gave. I'm so glad that I served. I'm so glad that I honored the moment that God told me to do what he told me to do and I didn't understand it. I just didn't question it. I believe we're in a season where we have to move with urgency. Amen. We get so caught up with excellence that we forget that outside of this place, it's urgent. Come on. What if we're supposed to move with excellence and urgency at the same time? We're going to do it the best we can, but we're going to do it fast. I believe that God wants to honor this place. This place is special. This this really isn't this really isn't a message for you. Maybe it's a message for you on the camera, for, for whoever's watching. We're supposed to have active faith. Now, let's jump back to the beginning. I I don't have much time because uh, we've got to get here and get ready for, for the next service because we're going to drop it there too and God's going to do something there too. But listen, I want to get back to the beginning because I believe now that we've established that we're supposed to be working for the faith and what that produces, I think we need to look at who we're supposed to be working for because we work for him, right? He is our boss. He is our father. He is the one we're doing it for. We work for him, but we also work for him. And James starts this chapter off, he ends it by talking about being active in the faith and working for the faith and being active with the gospel. We're teaching people to pray because we're active with the gospel. We're teaching people to get involved in children's ministry because we're active with the gospel. We've got people taking baskets to Avita. God bless Juliana and her team, because we want to be active with the gospel. We want to be active with the gospel. But James starts off by saying this, listen to me. My brothers and believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing gold ring and fine clothes and and a man comes in wearing poor and shabby clothes and he's dirty and if you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say here's a good seat for you but the poor man you say sit at my feet. James says listen. You've discriminated among yourselves and you become judges with evil thoughts. There used to be a season in ministry 40 years ago, 30 years ago, where that literal scripture could, scripture could be applied because clothing was a big deal in the body of Christ. It really was. You wore your Sunday best. And so people who only had their Sunday rest, they couldn't, they couldn't they, all they had was what they had. They didn't have much. A lot of them just didn't go to church because they didn't have clothes that fit in. There was an era, not so long ago, where that was a thing. And at some point in time, somebody realized, hey, James chapter 2 is right. And we probably shouldn't be making a big deal out of this. That clothing is not a marker of a man or a marker of a woman, but, but at some point in time, it mattered. You dress your best for God. Listen, God doesn't look at your clothing; He looks at your heart, and He sees well beyond what you're wearing. And so I look at the scripture and I think, oh, well, maybe the body of Christ has risen above this. Maybe we've, maybe we finally. Maybe we finally accomplished what it is that He wanted us to accomplish. We finally realized. And then, man, you begin to look up that word favoritism, or you look up that word preference, or you look up that word discriminate, and it starts to thread itself through the Bible, the Old and New Testament. Jesus has things to say on it. Old Testament believers, Psalms has things to say on it. Job has things to say on it. Some of the epistles have things to say on it. And all of a sudden, you realize this is a repetitious theme that 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 really people have struggled with this. Listen, even Jewish people struggled with the Gentiles even being able to be saved, even knowing God, like, he's our God, mm, you guys can all go you know where oh well that's them that was two thousand years ago four thousand years ago five thousand years ago we have evolved we're better than that are we better than that yet in so many ways discrimination listen and this is going to make people uncomfortable because discrimination is that hot word right now discrimination is something we don't like to talk about but it moves it's a moving target we feel like we solve it in one area and it it shifts to another area and all of a sudden this, this group of people are targeted and, and then all of a sudden it gets solved and boom, discrimination. shit. Listen, the enemy does not stay still. He doesn't stay still. It's the body of Christ's responsibility to recognize that the enemy moves around, that he is cunning and crafty and that he's trying real hard to keep relevant in society. Listen, we can't be that. We have to recognize that He was a for-all-people Savior. He was the Savior of the Jew. He was the Savior of the Gentile. He was the Savior of white folk. He is the Savior of black folk. He is the Savior of brown folk. He is the Savior of Asians. He is the, sa- he is the Savior, period. Now here's where the the trouble comes, right? Here's what, well, that's Jesus, that's God. Do you realize that being a Christian means you are going to be Christ-like? What's important to him becomes important to you. What's not important to him becomes unimportant to you. There is... There is inside of our culture right now this idea that there are people that are of colors that are different than us, that that, that, that's the problem. It's always, it's been around. It's always been around. It's ridiculous. It's nasty. It's ugly. Now there's, now there's, it's going on in our culture that because you wear a certain uniform that you are a problem That you are full of hate and anger. Listen, body of Christ. I'm talking to the body of Christ right now. Even if there are bad people. Who did he come to save? Who did he come here for? Did he come for the people that had it together? He came for the racist. Listen to me. We're we're constantly telling people, don't be racist. I'm telling you, he came to save the racist. He came to set the racist free, to realize that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That there is not Jew or Gentile in the kingdom. That you're a child of God. That there is no difference. He came to save the racist. He came to save the bad actor, the the bad person that we... Don't want to look at in society. He came to save those people. And we have gotten to this place. This is a challenge. We have gotten to this place where we're like, we can't minister to them because if we minister to them, we're going to be associated with them. And we don't want to be associated with them because if we're associated with them, it's going to hurt our church. It's going to hurt our ministry. It's going to hurt our image. Listen, the image of the body of the Christ, uh, the body of Christ is that he came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the whole gospel. He came for the broken and the hurting. He came for the poor, the destitute, and the weak. He came for the rich and the wealthy and the well-to-do. He came for the popular and the unpopular. He came for everybody. But pastor, I, I don't know, I. I, I've, I've, had, I've had things happen to me and, and, and it's, it, look, it's, it's, I, I've struggled and I've had things happen to me and it's formed my image of people. Listen, I understand. I understand that things that happen to you begin to inform your image of how you perceive things. But the main thing that should inform your image on how you perceive things is what happened when you knelt at an altar. You gave your life to Jesus. You let the blood wash you. And all of a sudden, Jesus and the Holy Spirit on the inside of you says, now you have the ability to pray for people who spitefully use you. You have the ability to pray for people that use you and, and say all kind and all manner of things against you. You have the ability living on on the inside of you to inspire those that you previously hated. You have the ability to reach those who you have, who, uh, have previously blocked out. You have the ability now. To minister to people that you would have never, ever, ever, ever wanted to be around. But is it active? Is it active on the inside of you? It's a hard hard word, but that's what it's talking about. That's what it's getting at is, listen... Listen, there's really nobody outside of our, our sphere. There's nobody outside of our circle of influence. We, we don't get to pick and choose who we minister to. We don't get to pick and choose who we're good to. We don't get to pick and choose who we bless. We don't get to pick and choose who we, who we try to inspire with, with the gospel. We don't get to pick and choose. It's already been picked and chosen for us. We, 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 we already have that, that decree. We already have that assignment as the body of Christ. We don't get to just pray for our family members that are lost. We don't get to just pray for, we don't just get to pray for our neighbors that are lost. We have to pray for our our politicians. All of them. All of them. Whether they got a D or an R or an I beside of their name. We got to pray for all of them. That is, that is what this is saying. There's really nobody outside of your scope. There's nobody outside of your service. There's nobody outside of it. You don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to pick and choose. But if we'll listen, if we'll let him speak to our heart, if we'll let him touch our heart in moments and we'll let him tell us what to do, you will fall into the middle of some moments that you never ever thought you'd be in the middle of. You will find yourself in conversations with people that you never thought you would get the the opportunity to talk to. You will be be ministering to people that you would have never thought would have ever heard you because you would be shocked who would listen to you. You'd be shocked, especially when the Holy Spirit opens the door. You would be shocked who you get to talk to. And that's the gospel. That's what he calls us to. Stand to our feet. You can go ahead and put something on. I'm reminded... I'm reminded when I, when I read James chapter 2... and I saw that scripture that said, don't show any favoritism. And he, he said, listen, if somebody comes to you with a gold ring on their finger and fine clothing and then somebody comes in shabby clothing and, and clearly is poor, you can't mistreat the poor person because the wealthy person has shown up. And I'm reminded of a story in Luke chapter 15 and I come back to this. It's just what jumped out of my heart. In Luke chapter 15... There's a son that stays in the house with the father, clearly keeps the ring on his finger, keeps the robe on his back. His brother goes out, spends everything that he has on, on prodigal living is what the Bible says. He's nasty, he's callous, he's broken when he comes back. He's just spent time in the pig pen and he stinks and he, he clearly has had problems for years and years of his life. And the first thing the father does is the son that's standing over on the right that stayed with him, who's already got the ring and the robe on his finger, He takes the filthy Son and he puts the ring and the robe back on his back he doesn't pay attention in that moment to the one that stayed he pays attention to the one that left he doesn't pay attention to the one that seemed to be faithful he pays attention to the one that seemed to be faithless he doesn't pay attention to the one that did everything he asked he pays attention to the one that defied everything he said and when that one comes back he treats them as though he never left could you imagine as a father if you had showed favoritism in that moment? And sometimes parents do that. Secretly, they have a kid they like a little bit more. I'm my parents' favorite. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. You should have been. <laughs> you were, though, weren't you? Dag on it. It doesn't work when it actually is true. He didn't show favoritism in that moment. And all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the pain, it washed away. But listen, that hurt was directed right at the Father. He directly offended the Father, directly offended Him. Some things that we do, we we think, oh, yeah, I'll just ask God for forgiveness. I'm not doing this to hurt the heart of God. This is a story about him directly hurting the heart of the father, directly hurting the heart of the father. He is directly offending him. He is directly telling him, I wish you were dead. How do I know that? He asked for his inheritance before his father died. You didn't get it until there was a decedent. Give me what belongs to me upon your death. And then he went off and he spent that. He directly offended the father. Could you imagine if the father had said, I am so offended that I can't come back into relationship with you. The body of Christ, in order for it to work for him, in order for it to be what he wants it to be, it has to drop being offended. We can't live offended. We give up the right, don't we, P.T.? We give up the right as carriers of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We give up the right to be offended. Because you can't minister to somebody that you're carrying an offense against. And it doesn't... If you carry an offense and you can't minister to them, you are withholding the salvation that God wants to give them. What do you want to be known for? Rejecting people because of offense or dropping offenses so that people can be saved. When you stand in front of the Father, what do you want Him to say to you? Well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, offended believer. We gotta go. We gotta go. Here's what I wanna do today. This is the response today. The response today is, We have to begin thinking about who we are called to reach. This isn't about making a church big anymore. This is about realizing that we may not have much longer to reach the person that we love. We may not have much longer to reach the neighbor. We may not have much longer to reach the co-worker. Oh, that co hard. That boss is hard. We might not have a whole lot more time to minister the gospel to them. God, we need you to provide creases. We need you to provide opportunity. Holy Spirit, point out moments where I am to speak, where I am to say, where I am to serve, where I am to give. It's time now to get names in your mind and in your heart and begin going to the throne for them. And when God says, here's their need, meet the need, be the answer to the prayer, not just the person that prays the prayer prayer the answer to the prayer and so today we're not going to just pray for us we're going to pray for the the culture that's going on all around us that's been my prayer for madison give us the broken give us the neighborhoods give us the places where nobody wants to go take us down the roads that nobody wants to go down the one where all the car doors are locked and where all the houses are locked and everything's bolted. let us go down that road and let us see what a little light does in some darkness let's see what happens So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray a blessing over you. Believing that God is going to use you like a laser pointer in somebody's life. Now here's the thing. I can pray this prayer for you, but when God points it out this week, it's up to you to respond. That's the response. God's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, now's the moment. There's the crease. That's the person. Do you believe that? Let's pray right now. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's go to the Lord. Father, right now, we believe that there are people who you have put in our path, whose problems you have made known to us because we are not to pray for them only we are the answer to the prayer the petitions have already been lifted to heaven the saints have already prayed the intercession has already happened and we are just finding out about the need right now because we are the one that the answer of the prayer is in our pocket it's in our talent it's in our time it's in our resources it's well within our sphere of ability and you have put us in front of them to answer that prayer, there's somebody in our life that is waiting for us to hug them, there's somebody in our life that's waiting for us to pray over them there's somebody in our life that's waiting for us to serve them, to give to them in whatever capacity, in whatever form, in whatever fashion, there's somebody in our life that you have told us to encourage and to tell a good word to, Lord let us be faithful when you point out the crease let us be faithful when you point out the moment, Lord let us see that opportunity and see that opportunity for the kingdom of heaven you have put us in their path to make an impact not for ourselves but for the kingdom of heaven and lord today we realize that time may be short it is time to be bold like a lion it is time to have a backbone it is time to have a spine it is time to grow up it is time to speak out it is time to love to serve to give and to go And so, God, right now, we pray that we would not only leave this place encouraged, but challenged, challenged to have a living, active, breathing, working faith for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for every single person that every single person in here represents. Lord, as I look out, I see thousands of people that are going to be impacted by the hundreds that are here right now. Not for Fusion Church, but for the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, we declare it, we decree it, so be it, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, we'll see you next week.